So many of us think that all we need, all we need to be set as a Christian is just an encounter with God. I don't think it's possible for us to exaggerate the importance of the power and the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Could we exaggerate that? No, we could go on for thousands of years talking about how much we need God to do what only God can do in our life. The whole Christian life from beginning to end is by grace. And yeah, that means it's undeserved, but that also means it's God's doing. But some of us think that if we just get the temperature hot enough in our little church, if we can just get the singing intense enough, the preaching intense enough, the praying intense enough, that we'll come in and boom, we'll get rocked, whatever that means. Some people wouldn't use that language. Episcopalians would probably not use the language of rocked. Mennonites would traditionally not say, I got wrecked. Stan would say wrecked. My mom and dad would say, it was a significant experience. But we're both talking about the same thing. Some of us think that if we'll just get the temperature hot enough in the room, just just enough angelic activity, enough Holy Spirit activity, and we'll have an encounter, and then we'll never be the same again, and the struggles will go away, and we'll be joyful forever, and close to Jesus, and overcoming, and things will go well for us. That's very important. That's essential, and we can't make it happen. We cannot make God move. God is God and we are not. He is not under our control any more than other people are under our control. On a good day, a real good day, we're under our own control. Like that's a real good day. That's an amazing, spiritually deep, walking close with Jesus day when we're under our own control. Where I can say yes and do it and I can say no and mean it and do it where I don't have to say everything I think. I don't have to live in reaction to whatever button somebody pushes on me, whatever environment or bad attitude that they give to me. I don't have to give back. What an amazing day when we can walk in the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Wow. But we have no control over God or other people. None. No control over spirit encounters. You agree with that so far? And let's say you have incredible spirit encounters. I liken it to a bonfire. Last night, we burned the burnable trash, including an old shelf that I had built for the boys that Israel rejected as ugly now that he's older and has opinions. That burned really high. And if you needed to get warm, that's the place you'd want to stand. But a bonfire is a terrible idea if your goal is to stay warm long term. And a revival service or kids going to the shout is a terrible idea if your goal is to stay in love with God long term. Or getting the church service is just amazing. And then my kids, my friends, my family, my coworkers, me will finally be okay. I am not in any way under, 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 under evaluating the importance of having the temperature really hot right here in, this, in our services. I am not un, under value, un, 
I'm not, I'm not not. I value the shout. I value revival conferences. I value these encounters with the Holy Spirit. But if we don't then also do two other things in response to what God does, we will not have fruit. We will not carry the flame. We will not be changed. We will not stay in love with God unless we do two other things. Church is not enough, friends. Encounters are not enough, friends. Power of the Holy Spirit laying on of hands is not enough, friends. And I want all those things. I go after all those things. I'm the guy who sometimes is brought in to bring those things. And I, it's a lot of fun. I can't even read that. that? I'll read it to you. Sorry. It's holding the pen like this and writing at an angle. It's the word trials. Trials. Hard things that God intentionally allows you and I to walk through are not an interruption of the plan. God will sovereignly encounter you. God will sovereignly encounter me. The reality of Jesus will show up in my heart and in my life. But God will also allow his kids to walk through hard, painful things. Everybody in this room's got trials. I don't know what yours is, but I know it hurts. I don't know what yours is, but I know it requires perseverance. I don't know what yours is, but I know it makes you have to lean on God to make it through. And I know it breaks you open and makes you aware how much you need him. And I know the hard things of your life are not some exception, some, some thing to escape, something to avoid. As though they're a shock, as though they're a surprise to God, as though something, you must be doing something wrong. No, you're not doing something wrong. It's just the world we live in and it's the context of faith. James 1. James chapter 1. He's so extreme. He says, count it all joy whenever you face trials of many, time, of many kinds. Many kinds. Not just one trial at a time. When you face many different kinds of trials at the same time. Count it joy. And I go, count it joy. I just want it to stop, friend. Just make it stop. And he goes, because you know that this is the testing of your faith and that the testing of your faith will actually produce perseverance in you and it's going to change you and you're going to become mature and then your faith will no longer be lacking things. Something about the trial is not the place where you lose faith. I'm telling you right now, we have a generation that goes through hard things and then they give up on Jesus. And I'm not talking about young people. I'm talking about young, old, middle age. Oh, I encountered Jesus. It was amazing. I tasted his love. It was good. Bump in the road. I'm done. I'm out. I quit. I guess it didn't work. What? What did you think it was? Did you think the faith was a ticket to the, to the easy pass, high speed lane, high occupancy vehicle lane? Is that what you thought faith was? Because I'm pretty sure it's a ticket 
to become like Jesus and know the Father in the way that Jesus does. Amen. It's, a, it's a ticket to a slow road, not a super highway speed road. It's a ticket to a footpath where you walk with him and you slow down and you learn to see your broken, painful, actually shameful life not as some, some shocking, terrible tragedy so that now it just, the only thing you can do is just get over it, just get away from it and never think about it anymore. No, the hard stuff of your life is either going to be the place where you learn to see the faithfulness of God or the faith will not change us. Like, I don't care how bad your parents were. If you don't learn to forgive them, whole parts of who you are, you'll reject. And if you don't learn to see, and I'm not saying they weren't terrible. I don't know them, but they might have been horrible. But they still made you. And that the very most basic thing is to learn to be grateful that they made you. And that they're not all bad. They had some good stuff. And they gave you your genetic package and your upbringing. For good and bad. But if you don't forgive, if I don't forgive... I reject whole parts of me. I reject whole parts of my story as some sort of place in which God isn't seen. A desert wasteland. And, and our God is not the God that says the desert wasteland is just a wasteland. He, he says to the ones who know in their heart the way to Zion, they make it a spring. And there's streams, God says in Isaiah, look, I'm doing a new thing that's springing up and you guys don't even realize it yet. You're so sad about the wasteland. You're so sad about the desert. But I'm doing a new thing. I'm bringing streams. The trials for us are not... Sometimes I feel like we think when things start to break that we're doing something wrong or somebody's doing something wrong. Somebody. And now we need to go to God to get the trial to end. And the saints that I look up to the most are the ones who instead of doing, using God to manage life, they, they fall on God and they live in this thing and they, they see the hard stuff as the very means of their salvation. The, the thing I wish was not happening is often the thing that is changing me for the better, that is revealing the Father more clearly. And if we don't learn to think, if we don't learn to think the way the Bible thinks about trials, we're we're not going to make it, friends. Thinking the way Jesus thinks about trials, uh, it, it just changes our view of our own life story. You go, who am I? And you're going to tell me a story about your life. And you're going to tell me things that are amazing and you're going to tell me things that are horrible. Look, if we can't find him in our story, we, we need him to help us see. And this comes to the other part of the triangle. Ah, handwriting today is a tragedy. Oh, now I got to even work. Disciplines. Disciplines? Is that how you spell it's looking great today. Aren't you glad I didn't make a nice PowerPoint where you could actually read it? 
the spiritual disciplines. Guys, we, we put the words of Jesus in red, but maybe we should have put the actions of Jesus in green too so we don't ignore them. Jesus who got up early and went alone with his father and spent time with no one else around in silence and in solitude. Jesus, the son of God who spent 40 days on a fast to be absolutely crystal clear about calling. The son of God who meditated on the scripture to find who his father was and who he was and what his mission and his purpose was so that he could go into the place where the scripture was read and stand up and find the place in the scroll where it's written, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to captives and free, or good news to the poor and freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He knew that verse. He had a history with that verse when no one else was around and it forms something in him that propelled him. The, discip- the spiritual disciplines of the first, like, You are the product of your alone time with God. Or you are the product of whatever else it is you delight in in secret and spend time meditating, dwelling on, and doing. And Jesus would have us follow him into solitude and silence so that we become aware. So that we become aware of what's driving us. So that we become aware of what's triggering us. So that we become aware. So that he can begin to coach us, to shepherd us, to counsel us. Solitude and silence. I'm calling those one thing, even though there's two words. And solitude is being completely away from people and completely away from the noise of people. So to be taking a walk in the woods, texting someone is not solitude. Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, mathematician, several hundred years ago, he said, the main problem with most people is our inability to be alone in a room and doing nothing. Is he exaggerating? I don't know. It sounds a little exaggerated, like the main problem, really. I think we have other problems too, brother. He's saying we get so driven and then we set to work to fix the world and we need to slow down and my friend Dallas Willard says there's some things we we'll learn in solitude and silence silence is not just being around less noise it's also not talking So you guys know I set, the, I set my timer for 15 minutes and I sit, I hold still. And the goal of that is not to produce something. The goal of that is not to praise something. The goal is that, of that is, is not to realize something or discover something. The goal of that is to be. To just be. Because the constant doing fueled on a lie that I am because I do and I have value if I achieve and the need to be with people is this feeling of I have to be with people to know that I matter and I'm 
loved. And it's in silence and solitude that we learn we have a soul. It's in silence and solitude that we learn God is always with us. And it's in solitude is the cure for loneliness. Because it's in solitude with God, we learn how many different ways we're never alone. And it's in, he said, take a seventh of your life. It's one of the commands. A seventh of your life to do nothing. Do no work. Not you, not, your, not, not in anyone in your business, not your manservants, not your animals. One day out of seven, do nothing. And he doesn't say, and work extra hard on religious work on that day. We invented that and violated Sabbath. Do nothing. Well, what am I supposed to be doing? Nothing. What am I supposed to be achieving? Nothing. Well, the goal of that is to get closer to God, right? Stop it. Nothing. Hold still and rest. See, guys, that's the first half. The second half of the two, silence and solitude is the first half. It's making space. It's making space in the modern world where we're so addicted to constantly doing nine things that we actually value ourselves by having two jobs, three cars, these many payments. What are you doing next? I'm busy. What have you been up to? Working like crazy. What are you doing on your day off? Other work that I don't have time to do when I'm working. And don't just stand there, pray something. Don't just run, podcast something. Don't just drive, listen to something. Always be doing more than one thing. Always be in more than one place. Be looking, reading, texting, watching, receiving, getting more, more. Oh my word. How can we, how can we be creators when we're constantly consuming? In silence and solitude, the rust that's in these pipes starts to come out. The yuck, the anxieties. I become aware of what I'm driven by. I become aware of what I'm carrying. I become aware of all the have-tos that I've been burdened and driven by. I become aware of why am I reacting. One time I had a fight with Carrie recently, admittedly. And I got alone with God and I was like, what in the world was that all about? And he's like, you got issues with your mom. I said, what does that have to do with my wife? You feel controlled. But my mom wasn't controlling. No, you're right. She wasn't. She was nurturing. But after a certain age, you felt disrespected like she didn't think you had abilities that you do have. And you interpreted her nurture as control. And so now you're reacting to your wife like she's trying to control you and she's not. Guys, I didn't come up with that stuff. He comes up with that stuff. (laughs) Then I could forgive both of them and neither of them were even had a bad heart. It was the way I was relating to it. Stuff breaks loose. Okay. The second half is not silence and solitude. It's study and worship. Study and worship. I don't know where we got this weird idea that knowledge is bad. Because knowledge fuels worship. The more deeply you meditate on who God is that he's revealed in the Bible and then you enter into that and tell him who he is on the basis of that and pray that out and kneel on your floor and lay down and give yourself to him according to how you see him in the book as you spend like, like time, hours, 
reflecting on what he's said, dude, the worship just... Can you imagine what churches like this one would be like if we put less emphasis on the spirit encounters that we can't control and we put more emphasis on us than rearranging our life according to the God we've encountered in those moments? Can you imagine if the priests, instead of going, whoa, the the glory came down when we dedicated the temple. Did you see it? We couldn't even stand a minister. That was awesome. I love that. that. That's my jam right there. I love that passage. Solomon dedicates the temple. Boom, the fire falls from heaven. The priests cannot stand to worship. The whole place is on their face. I love that. But you know what? Some of the more important passages for us are Day and night, day and night, day and night, never let the flame on the altar go out. Day and night, the priests are tasked to never let the flame on the altar go out. You can light any bonfire from a single lighter. You can't live at the revival. But if you'll learn to think about the broken stuff, the painful stuff, the stuff that none of us wanted to happen to you, I promise you we'll cry with you and we'll wish it didn't happen too. But what we won't do is act like God can't redeem it. Now, it's a different thing to have the theology that says God can redeem. And it's another thing entirely. It's faith. It's theology to say God can redeem. It's faith to see him in it. There's a couple issues in my life. He's inviting me to wrap my arms around and welcome in. And I hate him. I wish my life were different. But this is my life. And if I can't trust him with this life, then I can't trust him. And if I can't learn to see, because the Bible's so strong on this point, that God, Romans 8, 28, is working, not can, is working all things together for the good of those who what? Love God. That's your mission. That's your purpose. That's not your to-do list. That's your purpose. To-do lists get checked off and then you're done with them and you move on and forget about it. Your purpose regulates what gets on your to-do list. Your purpose, your reason for being here, your mandate, your mission, why you wake up in the morning, I'm here to love God. How will I do it? Well, there's going to be some to-do lists. And I'm going to stick to them when I don't feel like it. Can you imagine if I only loved my wife well when I felt like it? It wouldn't go well. That's your sermon. I I want spirit encounters as much as you. I'm not going to say more than you because I don't know. People are amazing. I want spirit encounters as much as you. I wish... 
every time we came in here, people just felt the tangible weight of God's beauty and love and they threw off stuff that they don't need to be carrying anymore and they go, oh my word, he loves me. Oh my word, he loves me. Oh my word, he's lovely. Oh my word, he's beautiful. Oh my goodness, a billion years ago before he created anything, he knew me, he thought of me. He made me come into being and he knew all the stuff that was going to go wrong in my life that I would do wrong and he took it on himself on the cross before I was born because he's the lamb slain from before the foundation of the earth. He forgave me before he created me. He took my brokenness into account and said, I'm bringing you forth and it is good that you exist. And I wish every time someone just walked into the space where we gather, whether it's here or at a house or anywhere, that just to be around us, it would be like that roaming band of prophets in the Old Testament that you just can't get around them without the swirl of divine love and energy just kind of, whoops, getting on you. And you're going, oh, and it says Saul was changed into another man. But then what happened? This is the part that ticks me off. He went back to being the old man. That's why I say we need more than the encounter. David sought God in secret with no one around. Saul didn't. Saul did the public stuff. He came to church and he offered the right sacrifices. And according to the law, he looked better than David. I'm telling you, according to the law, he looked better than David. But according to the heart, he was guilty of a sin as bad as witchcraft, rebellion. But David cultivated through discipline and hunger a seeking of God with no one around. And because he met God in secret with no one around, he defeated a lion and a bear in secret with no one around. So he had the knowledge of God and experience of his Savior so that when Goliath shows up in public, he had power in public because he already had intimacy of the presence in secret. Fruit. Fruit that will last comes not from being hearers of Jesus' words, It comes from cultivating and abiding in his words, right? John chapter 8, if if you want to be disciples, he says, you have to abide in my words. If you'll abide in my words, then you'll be truly my learners, my students. I'll really be your rabbi. You'll be living with my words. You'll be walking close with me. It's the daily. It's the daily. It's the having clear goals that are built on my purpose. I'm here to love God. And guys, we need, we're going to need help. We're going to need each other. I need you to help me walk through my trials. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to need you. You're going to need me. Even Paul... We think of Paul as being so mature and so strong. And he said, pray for me. Pray for me. See, God's given a key. I said this the other Wednesday, but I have to say it again. Every single one of us made in the image of God with value, with value. He's given every one of us a key, a key to our heart. We get to decide who we let in, who we don't let in, what we let in, what we don't let in. And God himself won't take it by force. God himself won't take that key by force. 
I can, through coercion and force, kill you, harm you, damage you, and take away your physical life. But I can never, by force, make you open up your heart to me. I can't do, it, it can't be done. Because God has given every person a key to their heart. And he won't take it. And he wants us. He wants us. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O oh Lord, I will seek. He wants us to, to let him into the ouch, to let him into the hard, to let him into the shame, the regret, the remorse, the grief, the resentment, the bitterness. He wants us to let him in. The key. Some of us have lost the key to our heart. We've misplaced it. We've locked it so tight. We don't want to see what's in there. We don't want to share with others what's in there. And we might need help finding the key to our own heart in order to give it to Jesus. I, I cannot overstress the importance of the local church to the ministry of the kingdom. In a day and age when we've gone through COVID and COVID has taught people lies about church. And those lies are now bearing fruit in non-involvement, non-commitment, non-sacrificial involvement. I cannot stress enough we need each other. Sometimes I've lost the key to a room. And Tom might have the key to my room. I just, I take with me certain keys you've given me. One day Pete said a few words to me that changed my whole life. I thought, I'm the pastor, so I'm, I shouldn't be struggling because if I'm struggling, he'll feel bad for me and then he'll be sad because I'm sad and I don't want him to be sad. I want him to be close to Jesus and in love and feeling good. So I'll just shove it down. But you guys know me. I'm so, I'm incapable of shoving it down. I try, it just does, it pops right out. It's frustrating. And then you have perceptive. Pete's very perceptive. He's very emotionally perceptive. So he forces it out, not forces, he coaxes it out. And I'm, and I'm saying, it doesn't matter, my feelings are stupid. And he says, no, 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 no. Tim, in these words, changed my life. Your feelings matter. Now listen, my feelings might have been based on deception. They might have been based on a scrambled brain. But I matter. And because I matter, even if what I'm thinking is wrong, my feelings matter. And even if you're there to first hug me and love me and validate my feelings and then later encourage me into a healthier perspective, my feelings matter. That's a key. He, he, he unlocked a door for me. All right, I'll stop. Prayer team can come forward. I am so glad the youth are going to shout. But it will be useless if the youth don't develop spiritual disciplines when nobody's watching and learn to seek Jesus without the music, the crowds, the angels, the speakers. 
Am I right? I'm so glad for the Jesus revolution. But can you imagine if we internalize the lessons? Y'all telling me that story about the foot washing thing where the whiny people at church said, "These, these people are making the carpet dirty in here and they're ruining the building. So the next service, the pastor met them all at the, at the door and washed their feet. Wow. Wow. What do you guys got today? What you got, Stan? Um, uh, whatever burden you're carrying today, God wants you to come and lay the burden down, and he's going to give you rest for your soul. So I don't know who that's for, but the Lord gave that to me three times during worship. Um, whatever for you. I'm good. I'm good. So whatever burden you're carrying, God wants to give you rest. He wants to give you rest for, for any burden that you're carrying. And he gave that to me three times during worship this morning. So if that's you, I want you to come get prayer because God wants to unload your burden. So um, during worship... I know a couple weeks ago I, I shared, I saw that, that vision of a rope, um, people, you know, just hanging on for dear life, dangling. And um, today I see the rope again, and I'm like, okay, there has to be something different or more that, that the Lord wants to talk about. And so I know this is for someone. You're desperately holding on to this rope. You are trying to climb out of a a mess that you've gotten into and it's not necessarily a mess you created it it doesn't matter how you got there but you're there and you have been fighting and struggling to get out and this is the word that Jesus said you can't you cannot get out of this without me and I know that's for somebody I know and so I hope that you'll just push out whatever would keep you from coming up here and let let us pray for you, whoever you want to go to. But there is only one way out of that mess, and he wants to help you get through it. But you've, you've got to humble yourself and, and be willing to let him, let him help you. He's the only one that can. Uh, God's just been speaking to me about um, encouragement, and uh, kind of Tim's kind of stole my stole that uh, little sermon that I I thought of. Um, but in the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, we 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 have different challenges every day. We all come; everybody has different ones. And uh, through those challenges, God just spoke to me. You know, some sometimes I would I would uh, lose it a little bit and uh, get discouraged or complain and um, I wanted to share that last week but uh, we weren't here last week because Teresa made me go with her to the miniature show up in Wilmington Um, so I I had to do that um, because she said so so yeah but um, no really uh, through our challenges and other believers, like Carl encouraged me last week, um, just something simple. It, it, it was important to Carl, and um, it was in, because it was important to him, um, 
I'm not going to say it was really important to me, but I, you know, I, I was helping him with something. Anyways, look for something. And, uh, and I said, well, Carl, you know what? Uh, it's going to come to pass. Uh, we're just going to believe God's going to provide it for us. And uh, next thing you know, uh, a few days later, or maybe maybe a week later, um, he just, you know, I asked him a question. I sent him a text, and he says, uh, oh, I, you know, guess what? You know, I got this. It was a part. I got this part. It came through, you know, and it, it came through, and it was uh, even, uh, it was a brand new part, and it was even less than what the guy originally wanted for it. So, anyways, I'm just saying those are the kind of things that, that, we can share with each other and and encourage one another. and i think god uses those to encourage one another and um so if if you'd like encouragement today um i know when i go through uh different things the, the encouragement i get is that god never leaves me so no matter what we go through it doesn't matter if it's a little thing or a big thing you know if it's so anyways, but I just, I just, uh, if, if you want encouragement today, we all want to pray for you to be encouraged because that's what we're here. That's what, that's why we're here. That's we're in. That's why we're in a local body of believers is, is to encourage one another and, um, and help each other find parts. And help each other find <laughs> parts. Yes. But no, that was just, that was just the encouragement. Uh, contentment if anyone wants prayer for contentment um uh, what's that that's the journey I'm on. oh okay contentment um but the, this gal was speaking about when she first got into them remember when you first got your glasses and wow the vision the, the sharpness but i guess she was saying in in contentment we can get that sharpness with god but um we, we all and and you have to practice so anyway i want to encourage everyone to come out wednesday nights that's what long and short but Wednesday nights like you know what else are you going to do what you're going to go home and relax and watch TV but anyway just come and it's like it reinforces what Tim does on Sunday and just we need to be together one another but we just have such good times we do have fun and um so contentment oh gosh um but Wednesday night we practice what did you have us practice you weren't here but where's Stan practice practice what practice what did you in the being in the presence of god or practicing getting with god ourselves. positioning ourselves to to what to receive, to receive yeah so we 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 knelt it's, well that was later on we lifted our hands we prayed and just the t- quiet time and we're all together it's awesome but um so we practiced putting ourselves in the presence so we have to practice contentment in the three things I think it's Paul. Rejoice in the Lord always. We have to practice rejoicing in the Lord always. Presenting our requests to God with thanksgiving. We have to practice that. We have to find things we're thankful for. And set your mind on and practice. And that's the disciplines in that corner. Uh, Whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Practice, practice, practice. Awesome. Anyway, that's what the Lord showed me. So if you need prayer for contentment, agree with you for contentment. (laughs) Go ahead and stand. Let's pray. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba. God, teach us how. Teach us how. Teach us how. 
Teach us how to live every day in your presence, every day in peace, every day in rest, every day in union with you. We want to work, but we want to work from a place of abiding and rest. God, we honor you as our God today. We celebrate and we say yes to Jesus, what you've accomplished for us, God. We thank you for the cross. We thank you, God, for the resurrection. We thank you for the the empty tomb, the ascension, that you are reigning, Jesus, as Lord now. We celebrate you, Jesus, as Lord. And we're relating to you here and now how we we'd strongly believe that the whole world will acknowledge you eventually. But we're acknowledging you right now. We're seeing you right now by faith. Amen. Amen.